We've also seen teachers take more of an interest in these students because we are being so active in providing them with information um, and are asking us more questions about how to help them and how to help the family. Um, another thing we have really noticed is the implementation of more culturally diverse books in classrooms because I think teachers are trying to build a sense of community and inclusiveness with our ELL students and families so that they are more likely to participate and more likely to feel like a part of the community even though they may have that language gap. Welcome to Highest Aspirations, an education podcast that explores the world of English language learners and how we can make a greater impact. Each episode, we bring you voices from across the ELL community to discuss the issues that matter most. Highest Aspirations is brought to you by Elevation Education, your partner for ELL program management and instruction. Hey everybody, welcome back to Highest Aspirations. I'm your host, Steve Sophronis. How can EL teachers best learn about the sometimes complicated cultural backgrounds of their students? How might they confront the challenge of ensuring that other teachers and staff in their schools have efficient access to this information? What cultural information is most important for content teachers, particularly those who don't have EL training? And how might EL teachers go about sharing it? We discuss these questions and much more with Katie Francis. Katie Francis is a certified ELL teacher. She spent her first eight years as a mainstream classroom teacher working with diverse groups of students. She currently teaches at Northern Elementary School in Fayette County, Kentucky, where she and her teammate Jamie Combs service over 150 English language learners at their school. We'll hear from Jamie in our next episode, which focuses on home visits for families of English language learners. For now, I hope this conversation with Katie helps you learn more about the value of understanding and sharing cultural backgrounds of students. Let's get started. Hello, Katie. Welcome to Highest Aspirations. Hi, Steve. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. It's a pleasure. Um, it's been a little bit since we reached out and we're talking about some of the wonderful things that are happening down there in, uh, in Fayette, but I'm excited to finally have a chance to chat with you about what you're doing with your students. So I want to talk first about the challenge that you saw. You saw a challenge that um, the teachers didn't really know a whole lot about your students' home cultures. Could you explain how that issue came about and, and why you thought you, it needed to be resolved? Sure. Um, it was a combination of ideas that I got from a school PD and a district PD. Our school had a cultural responsiveness PD, where as a staff, we looked for specific information about countries that were represented by our students at the school. And around that same time, our district ELPD shared this great website that is full of cultural information about countries all around the world. So Jamie and I, who's the other EL teacher here, realized that not only did we not know as much about the countries and cultures at our school that we wanted to, but that there was also a need for our teachers to have that information. Great. So this came from PD, which is always wonderful. Some um, There's a lot of talk about PD that's not necessarily high quality, but it sounds like these were because you got some great ideas and did something with them. Could you just let it, and we'll put all the resources at the end, but what was the name of that website that you just referenced? Do you remember? It's guide.culturecrossing.net. 
That's and a mouth, you, mouthful. <laughs> it is. And when you open it, it, it basically shows you a map of the world and you can click on countries and there's different information on there. And I'll talk about that later. Um, but it was really eye-opening um, for us to kind of see and, and have that information right at our, at our fingertips. Perfect. And we'll include the website and the other resources that we mentioned over the course of the episode um, on our website in the notes. So given that information and sort of um, the, the website and the cultural responsiveness piece, how have you gone about addressing this issue? So what we decided to do is we put together binders for each of our classroom teachers, as well as other staff in our schools, such as the principal and our family resource center, our counselors, our social workers, that has multiple sections, but one of those sections is about the different cultures represented here at Northern. So we used information from the website um, to make a page or two about each country that um, is here, that we have students here. And it has things such as the official languages of the countries, major religions, common greetings, um, the importance of eye contact, what the school setting is like, and things like that. And then we have also been conducting home visits to get kind of a more personal understanding of our students' culture. So it's been interesting because we found that in some cases, the birth country is not always the culture that the student is raised in right. and vice versa. Sometimes students live multiple places and the culture is specific only to their birth country. So when you get more into those home visits and really knowing your family, it gives you a better idea of, okay, maybe this student was born in the Congo, but really their culture comes from Kenya, which is where they spent the majority of their life. Sure. Yeah. I mean, information that you can't glean from anywhere really, except actually visiting the students. And we'll get into that a little more um, when we talk to uh, Jamie about that, who's your colleague who you mentioned earlier. I want to go back to those um, to those binders for, for a quick second. So it sounds like what you've done is you've kind of distilled a lot of this information that comes from an online source so that it's accessible to teachers who need it. And I think that's a really important point because oftentimes, um, I think kind of like with the internet and the age of instant gratification in terms of information, sometimes we think, well, anybody can access this information. But it sounds like what you've done is to take some time on your own to allow teachers to quickly access that key information. Right. And I, um, I taught in a classroom, a self-contained classroom for eight years before I became an EL teacher. And so from my point of view, I just thought it would be great to have something on the shelf that I can immediately pull out and reference if I have any questions. So the binder has specific things to the school, such as class lists and rosters of our EL students, um, also like preferred languages so that if you need to call home, you know what language that would be in, some newcomer cards, and articles on how to make newcomers feel welcome in your classroom and then the cultural piece, and then also a data piece. So at any point, a teacher can grab their binder, hopefully find, you know, what they're looking for. And then if they, if they can't, then they can ask us, but they don't always have to be emailing us or calling us or walking across the school to find out information about the students they're servicing. Yeah, absolutely. That convenience and saving yourself some time also and, and making sure that people have uh, that information readily available. How have you seen, and, and I also will step back for a second and say, I love it that you kind of looked at this from an approach where you as a teacher needed this information, didn't have it, and you thought how wonderful it would be to, um, to get it to teachers, and that's why you created it. So I'm curious as to how have you seen um, sort of some of your mainstream teachers use this tool to, to work more effectively with their EL students? 
I know that many of them have used it um, when we talk about the languages. So we took the home language surveys that our students have and we made a list of each student and the preferred language they want their parents would like the communication to come home in. And something that was added to that is our district uses language line, which mm -hmm. is a 24 hour line that you can call and get an interpreter and you can call out to families. And so I know that they have used that on multiple occasions just to be able to say, okay, I need to call in Spanish or French or Swahili and the language line number is right there. So they can just turn, boom, done. Um, we also have our intervention teachers also received a binder and so they are able to see what kids which of their kids they are servicing are ELs um, which helps them rather than sending emails back and forth as to who might have a language gap and who doesn't so I think that across the board not just classroom teachers but also other staff in the school are using it Sure. And, you know, you bring up something that's really important. And I think that a lot of people maybe in education or definitely outside of education don't understand. And we at Elevation and you and Fayette, I'm sure understand this all too well. And that is that not it, it, it's not necessarily easy to know who is an ELL student, um, who is being monitored, what kind of status they're in, and certainly not um, extremely easy to kind of find that information as to what language is spoken at home versus what language they like to communicate in. Um, so once again, the idea of, of, of recognizing that that is an issue, which I think many places they just kind of don't want to admit that like, yeah, we, we, we don't really know who these students are. Um, understanding that and then, and then um, taking the steps to solve that problem. So I think that's great. Thank you. So um, you mentioned at the beginning uh, when we were first talking about uh, cultural responsiveness, and that is a huge uh, topic right now, which, which is, um, I think, a good thing. There's a lot of research about the importance of cultural responsiveness when working with English language learners and other students. So I want to kind of elaborate on that a little bit. How do you see this work improving culturally responsive practices among teachers who may not have been formally trained to work with English language learners? Well, we had the training last year, but a lot of our teachers weren't on the staff last year and haven't been trained. So hopefully the information that we're giving teachers about where the students are from or where they're born um, and the culture they're, they're living in even as they're here helps to bridge that gap. And the home visits help with that as long as, as well as the binder. Um, we've also seen teachers take more of an interest in these students because we are being so active in providing them with information um, and are asking us more questions about how to help them and how to help the families. Um, another thing we have, really noticed is the implementation of more culturally diverse books in classrooms because mm -hmm. I think teachers are trying to build a sense of community and inclusiveness with our ELL students and families so that they are more likely to participate and more likely to feel like a part of the community even though they may have that language gap. Yeah, you're bringing up a key point and that is like, you know, maintaining home culture, maintaining home language, basically maintaining their identity as the person they are, while also sort of acclimating and becoming a part of, of the community. And it's, you know, as, as we kind of shift over the last couple decades um, to a system where the research says and the practice says that, yes, doing that actually helps the student succeed in the long run rather than this kind of sink, and swim, or, sink or swim um, English immersion, English only um, movement that happened. Um, you know, earlier um, is great. It's just nice to see that this stuff is happening in practice and it's actually helping students. It is helping. And I think the teachers 
uh, you know, they're building relationships with students that maybe they they weren't capable of building those relationships before. And so it, it's helping everybody across the board. Yeah, no doubt. That's great. I mean, that's just just forming a community um, and, and, and bridging gaps, which is wonderful. So you mentioned um, that you have some demographic and academic information included in these binders. And one of the things that you mentioned earlier was the newcomer cards. Um, and I think that's uh, a really important thing to talk about because one of the challenges that, you know, certainly content teachers have and, and sometimes English language teachers of English language learners themselves um, is, is working with these newcomers. So what, how is this resource um, helping and specifically how is it helping those mainstream content teachers? Right. So the idea for the newcomer cards originally came because we had a kindergartner at the school, an EL student, who was nonverbal. And we needed a way for the student to express her needs to us. And so the cards have a picture and a word on them. So for example, it might be a picture of a teacher and the word teacher underneath the picture. So we have one for office and a nurse and bathroom and cafeteria. Um, and then we really just decided that they would be beneficial to any newcomer. So we, you know, we want our newcomers that don't have basic language for a school setting to be able to communicate with us and us with them. And so it's a way to kind of bridge that gap that we know we would love to see those kids all day long so that we're helping them and they don't get lost and they can communicate and that's just not realistic. And so it allows them to begin to communicate and see the word and the picture at the same time and be able to relate that, that to the school setting, which is where we want them to feel the most comfortable as soon as they get here, or we want them to feel very comfortable as soon as possible so that they can begin to be successful in the classroom. Yeah, absolutely. And it sounds like, you know, you're starting from a student who is, I think you said a newcomer and nonverbal. Yeah. Um, so a very, very challenging circumstance. Um, but it sounds like you have found that these newcomer cards have not only helped that particular student who had uh, a couple sets of challenges, but, but all students who are newcomers and, and are able to kind of communicate at least in one way immediately and, and, begin to acclimate into that school community. Right, and communicate with teachers, but also with other students in their class. Yeah, good um, point. We're, we are very fortunate in that um, most of our, we only really have four or five languages that are represented heavily, and we are able to, a lot of times, pair or put students into classrooms where there is another student that speaks their home language. Um, but that's not always the case, and so mm -hmm. those newcomer cards also help in building that relationship between student and student. So important. And I think that that's a typical situation in many districts where there's kind of three, four, five languages predominantly represented, but then you have kind of a, a scattering of other languages. Um, and those students, oftentimes, particularly newcomers, run into the most challenges because they don't have people um, that speak their languages. And so having these cards, uh, again, is something that can benefit uh, all students and maybe particularly those students who otherwise might feel um, isolated in their own smaller kind of uh, micro communities, let's say. Right. Great, so I, I wanna kind of shift over to thinking about like the relationships, not only between students and teachers, but teachers and other teachers. So I'm thinking specifically about like ELL specialists and mainstream teachers and administrators. Um, you know, sometimes I was a mainstream teacher myself, although I taught Spanish, so I was kind of still in the language realm. Um, but there was a bit of a gap at times that existed between some of the content teachers and some of the um, ELL specialists where the ELL specialists, of course, like all of us here involved in this work, are pushing that we're all 
um, teachers of language, no matter what our content area is. And I think that, um, that that's kind of what we all want to believe in in a perfect world. But then you have a content teacher who has, you know, let's say it's a math teacher who has a responsibility to teach content, maybe hasn't been trained um, in the language piece, maybe doesn't necessarily buy into the fact that they are also a teacher of language. So my question, given all that, is do you think this work, creating these binders, um, has helped bridge the gap between EL specialists and mainstream teachers? I don't think there were huge gaps. Um, we're very fortunate in that the leadership at our district level, as well as here at school, is very, very supportive of us as EL teachers and what we do. Um, what it, the binder does is it opens up that line of communication to bridge that gap. So the mainstream classroom teachers have the binder, but there is a conversation that has to be said when we talk about the binder. So this is your class list. These are the accommodations they might get. Here's some newcomer cards. Here's information about culture of students that are represented in your class. So just opening that line of communication, I think makes them feel more comfortable mm -hmm. when they are accessing the information, when they are asking questions about the students, and I think that they understand the importance that, that we are putting on the growth of, of the students. And we have a high EL population at this school, so I don't think that I've ever felt like that they weren't important or that um, teachers don't believe that the language that they're doing in their classrooms is important. And I think that Jamie and I, we say it very often that, you know, we see a lot of kids and technically we're the EL teachers, but we really only see them in short spans you know we maybe see them for 45 minutes or an hour less than that sometimes and they're with other teachers the entire rest of the day so they are getting probably more way more language you know with the other teachers than they even are with us and so making them understand that that we appreciate what they're doing as well I think is important yeah, that's great. And I'm glad you mentioned that. And I, you know, I, I know that it's not the case that every where in every school where there, there are those gaps that exist. Um, and like you said, I think you're fortunate to work um, in a place where you, the EL specialists, um, are looked upon as experts and you're able to kind of convey that knowledge that uh, over to your classroom teachers who also consider themselves um, teachers of language as well. But imagine like staying on that point that they're like thinking about perhaps a new teacher or a teacher that maybe um, is a little bit reticent to like go to someone for help. It must help for them to have that information at their fingertips. And they must, I mean, it, I imagine it must be like the information is just more accessible. And so they're going to use it more. Whereas if they had to come, kind of come track you down, they may not have done that and therefore may not have had the information that they needed at any given moment. Right. And that's what I was thinking of from a former classroom teacher is, you know, I would have done it, but maybe I didn't do it right when I needed to, or maybe I forget to send the email or it's just easier to Google it or whatever. And so, you know, being efficient with the information that we can give them, you know, it, it's a big binder and there are five sections, but we were very careful about the information that we put in there. We wanted it to be information that they would use or that they needed and so that it wasn't overwhelming that when they opened it they were like I can't find anything or this is too much you know it, it's very efficient in the, in the way we put it together yeah that's great so thinking about like how this might be recreated in other districts and other places one of the main reasons like we have this podcast highest aspirations is really to share you know um, success stories and to share some challenges and, and to share actionable things that people can do in their own schools so that being said, how would you recommend that educators in other districts get started with this kind of work and kind of reproduce this, so that they're 
mainstream teachers and their schools have access to this kind of information? What's the first step? What's the time commitment? How might they go about kind of designing it? It was kind of a two-step um, process. We came up with the binder based on the cultural need of it. And then kind of the more we got into it, it was, well, it'd be nice if this binder just kind of encompassed all things EL so that at any point they could, they could grab it. And so we used the data that we had to determine what countries were represented at our school. Um, and then went ahead and, and looked on that website, guide.culturalcrossing.net, um, and started typing up for each country that was represented. And so that was kind of the start of our binder. And then the more we talked about it, the more we were like, oh, well, we should put this in there. They need to have contact lists and they need to know who all in the school you know, our specialist teachers all have a binder, so they know, you know, their binder is bigger because they have the entire school highlighted of who is EL and who is not. Um, but I think asking teachers what they need, we were very, at the end of last year when we kind of took this project on, we specifically asked them, you know, we kind of did a survey and asked them, like, what, what information do you need at your fingertips? And so that helps as well. Um, it's a project. It, we started the cultural piece at the end of last year, mm -hmm. and then we spent about a week to a week and a half um, at the beginning of this year, kind of in and out of testing kids and placing kids, um, putting the binder together and, and printing and, and copying. The good thing is a lot of this stuff can be reused the next year. You know, probably right. our countries aren't going to change that much, and we can stick things in or take things out. Um, one of the great things that happened was that our PTO donated all the binders for us. So they donated 50 binders. So it, it didn't cost us anything to put them together. Oh, that's great. It was fantastic. Um, and and, that, and that, that's where I'd say to people like, I don't know, I'm not, don't know how that worked for you, but that's something that you can definitely ask for, right? I mean, if you're, if you're, if you have resources or in the community, you know, one thing that I'd say is don't be afraid to ask for something relatively small. Um, like binders, but if they offered and you were able to have that, that's just one barrier knocked down. Right. So it was, it was time consuming. And, you know, whenever you put any kind of project together halfway through it, you're like, Ooh, we should have, we should have put that in there. Or we should have put something else in there. Or we should add this. And so we kept a master binder for ourselves. And anytime we kind of come up with another thing, then we stick it in our master binder. And so at the end of the year, we'll take all the binders back and then when we redo them for next year, we will use our master binder as a way to put it together. So if there's anything we took out or anything we added, um, it should be easier next year having the binders already there and having a lot of the information already printed out. I think that's a great idea. I mean, I wouldn't have thought to do that, having a master binder. Maybe maybe that's just me, but but I think that's like a good piece of advice. Have like one master that you know that you can kind of use as a template so that you can take things out and put them back in. Um, so that in and of itself would have definitely helped me create it because I would have forgotten that step. <laughs> and you all, you know, like the, the cultural information, um, I think is the information that's really difficult to find. So I feel like that, um, that's kind of the, the treasure, if you will, of that information that, that teachers would kind of have to Google and look up the other information it's worth mentioning you know, is, is you can generally find in your SIS. I know you all are, the podcast is not about elevation, but I'll mention that you all are using um, elevation. So some of that information's, uh, most of the demographic information's in there. Um, but that cultural piece, I mean, that's, that's kind of hard to find for teachers, you know, if they're looking, just Googling and they really run the risk of finding information that's not necessarily correct. 
Right. So we um, we took it on and we did use elevation to determine the countries. Um, we double checked by looking through all of our paperwork and, and also Infinite Campus, which we use as a district. But we used elevation to find specific countries and then how many students. And then that's also a piece we can go back in when we are making them for specific teachers. So for example, the fourth grade binder only had fourth grade students in it. And so it was a little different and only had their homeroom accommodations and modifications in it. So that also took a little longer. But again, I didn't want to give a fourth grade teacher all of the modifications and accommodations for the right. entire school. It's overwhelming. So, um, but yes, the website that we got from district um, and Shelly Brown, who is our district, was the one that did the PD. She would, I don't know how she got it. I think she got it at a PD as well. Um, but you pull it up and it's the map of the world and you can click on it by continent and then you can click on it by country. Now there are some countries where there isn't inf any information yet, um, but a lot of the information is, you know, things that we don't think about being different in other cultures because we're so used to our own culture or maybe even so many of our EL kids um, in this district are Hispanic and so a lot of the cultural things may not seem so foreign. Um, but we have a, a pretty large African population at our school. So things like personal space and time and taboos and how school is run there, it was very eye-opening for us. We talked about, and I know I mentioned it to you, for almost all of our countries represented when it talked about time, it yeah. talked about how socially time is just, in other countries, isn't a big deal. You know, being on time isn't, if you're late, you're late, and it's not a big uh -huh. deal, where for us, at least, you know, I remember in my family, like, it's, if you're on time, you're five minutes early. So yeah. that <laughs> so, sounds familiar. Right. So um, that was really interesting to find on there. There was another, and I can't remember now what it was that talked about um, you can send stuff home. And, and for them, it's more rude to decline to come than to sign up to come and not come at all. And right. so it was very eye-opening. We think about, again, mainstream classroom teachers when you make appointments for people to come in for conferences or whatever, like maybe they didn't come, but maybe they thought it was going to be more rude to decline to come than to actually sign up and not come. Those are great examples. And I was about to ask you for examples before you gave those great ones. And like, I, I'm a the, the time one, I think you and I actually talked about this when we were um, talking about doing this episode. And like the time one for me, I mean, I, punctuality was like always key in, in, in my family, much like it sounds like yours. And, and you know, I, I had an opportunity to travel quite a bit extensively around Latin America, Central America and South America. I lived in Spain for um, about eight months. And one of the things I realized is that, that this concept of time, you know, just really doesn't, uh, it's not the same as where, as where we are, but it's so ingrained into, I wouldn't want to say all of ours, but certainly in, into my uh, life experience that I know as a new teacher, um, or perhaps even a veteran teacher who didn't know this, it would be really unacceptable for me to think, well, it's okay that, you know, that this, this is a different culture and this is a different situation. I'm not going to say it was, would be unacceptable, but I would be ignorant to the fact, I guess is, is a better way to say it, that uh, this, is a, this is varied. It's different from country to country. So the time one is a great example. And honestly, it's one that, that I still like struggle with to this day. Yeah. And, and the other thing is that we forget is that, you know, we expect it to, to kind of go on our, you know, it's our time and it's our culture, 
but in all reality, some of our families may not even know that there, there, is, a dif- there is a difference between time in their culture and time in our culture, at sure. least in a, at a, a, a social setting or in a school setting. You know, businesses, it tends to be a little different, but I think for some of them, school is not considered a business or uh, formal, really, and so it, it may not even be anything other than they don't know that there is a difference in the expectation for time. Yeah. And it's interesting because it leads to like a whole other conversation, which I won't get into now, but I will surface it. And that is that, okay, once, uh, let's say that I'm a a kind of a math teacher, I'm working in your school, I get this binder, I realize that I have these students whose concept of time may be different. Now, the next step for me is to accept that and understand it and empathize. But then the next step must be, all right, well, let's come to some sort of agreement and understanding and the tact and the the sort of uh, the gracefulness, I guess, that you must need to have that conversation for families and students to understand that there is an expectation while you still kind of give a little. Um, have you seen that? And actually, can you think of an example where like, it doesn't have to be time, but where some kind of cultural difference um, was recognized and then kind of rectified? I'm putting you on the spot here, but I'm curious. <laughs> I, I haven't, no. It's something we have talked about, Jamie, and I have talked about, you know, we're also taking on these home visits and really getting to understand um, families. And one of the things, and I'm sure she'll talk about it, one of the things we would like to offer them is adult ESL classes. But we have also talked about the idea of having conversations with parents about some of the cultural expectations here that may be different than there. And one of the examples we came up with was was discipline and, and behavior both at home and at school and how it can be very different depending on the culture you're raised in. So how discipline is handled at home in other countries may not be the same as here or what is acceptable here and vice versa. And so um, it's something that we have talked about wanting to address with parents and with families, um, but it's not something that we have undertaken yet. Yeah. Well, it's great that you're thinking about it. I mean, I think it's just, just an opportunity for us to learn from one another and certainly not like say, hey, this is the way we do it. So this is how it's going to be. But rather, let's learn from one another and figure out sort of where the happy medium is, if there is a happy medium or if we need to, um, you know, d- take steps to make sure that people kind of understand how what the expectations are at school versus the expectations are at home. But I, I think it makes sense that you're thinking about that because it's one thing to kind of um, sort of learn about these things. And then the next step is to take action, which can be the, the difficult part, but it's comforting to know that you're all thinking about that. That's great. Right. And the kids as well. So some kids are going to react differently to different cultural responses. So if, if what we do with our discipline, maybe they don't react to that, but you know, maybe whatever is happening at home is helpful in kind of building that relationship and getting them back on track, then that would be helpful as well. Sure. And I think feel like we've talked about building relationships quite a bit. And I think that's, that's the key here. That's so crucial because without that relationship um, and trust, there's not a lot of learning that's going to happen. Exactly. So as we um, start to kind of close out here, one question that I like to ask uh, everyone who comes on the podcast is um, if there is a book or any other resource that has had an important influence on you, either personally or professionally, where, uh, we're up to, I think, probably over 30 resources at this point. And at some point, I'm going to publish everybody's um, you know, resource so that people can find them. Um, but I'd love to know one that uh, that's important to you. Uh, you know, I, and I thought of this based on what the podcast was going to be talking about. And so really, that website has just opened my eyes to so many things. And um, it's not a book, but it's something that I feel like is 
gives so much information and can be so helpful to so many people if it's used the right way. And so I think that that, because we've taken all this on, like, honestly, without that website, I'm not sure that we could have done it or that even we would have. Um, and so at least professionally, as an EL teacher, that website has kind of changed where my mind has gone and how I feel like I can reach out to families and learn more about them. Well, it totally makes sense that that's the resource you would have chosen. And if I were to guess, if I were to have guessed, that's the one I would have guessed you would have chosen. <laughs> and that's why I asked it. That's why I say it's a, it can be a book or a resource. Most people choose books, but this resource sounds like not only something that was crucial for you, but something that will be useful to other listeners as well. For sure. So last question, is there, how, is there a way that people could find out more about um, what you're doing aside from listening to this podcast and perhaps looking at some of the resources that we put in our ELL community? Um, one thing is that Jamie and I will both be presenting, we'll be presenting together at the Kentucky Reading Association Conference this year in November. That's in Louisville. Um, I believe it's the first weekend of November. So we wanted to make sure to put that out there. So if, if anybody is there, they can come by and see us and hear our presentation. It will be about um, literacy and building family literacy at home with our EL students. But a lot of this will, will intertwine in that. Um, and then if there are any other questions, you know, anybody can email me. And I don't know if you're going to put the email address out there or if I need to say it. Go ahead and say it and we'll put it out there. We'll cover all our bases. Okay, so it is Katie, K-A-T-I-E dot Francis, F-R-A-N-C-E-S at Fayette dot K-Y schools dot U-S. Great. So for the two people that, that, that listened and got that, good for you. But for everybody else, it, for everybody else, if you're like me, it will be on the website and you can check it out at elevationeducation.com slash ELL community. And if you don't remember that one, don't worry about it. You can find it right where the podcast is. Well, um, Katie, this has been a pleasure. And I think you've given us um, a lot to think about. And perhaps most importantly, you've talked about what you have done uh, pretty successfully there in Fayette and, um, and talked about how other schools can use the resources that you've used to do similar things. So thanks so much for joining us. And I uh, look forward to collaborating with you throughout the school year and seeing where all this goes. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks for listening to Highest Aspirations. If you liked our show, please be sure to join the ELL community at elevationeducation.com slash ELL community, where you'll find all the episodes of Highest Aspirations and other resources to help educators maximize the impact on their English language learners. Also, let us know how we're doing by writing a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts.